0: Warning, the following podcast contains naughty words and opinions. While neither of these has been shown to be hazardous, you should be aware that exposure to both has been known to cause chafing. Apply only to available ear-shaped head holes. Cease insertion if resistance is met.
1: Welcome to CinemaSlot, the weekly podcast that seeks the answers to the important questions like, what is the worst remix you've heard in your life? Or... How
2: do cars drive on a cushion of air in an almost vacuum?
1: Our content is prepared and served to you by myself, John, a man confused by this version of Norbit.
2: And Jason, a person that just entered one of the smallest minorities in movie watching history.
1: Every week, we carefully select our content through a process called backward baconing. At the end of each episode, we select a movie by our favorite actor and proceed one step further away from the source bacon.
2: This week's pork selection is covered in moon cheese.
1: Moon cheese is like normal cheese, but with a thin layer of regolith dusted on top of it. We season this content with our own secret blend of comedy, commentary and freeze-dried pre-packaged clumpy food matter
2: this movie lost a lot of money at the box office so it's safe to say that there's a lot of leftovers here to spoil and naturally we're adding all the salt and all the expletives
1: fuck 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 i believe the table is set so that leaves one last order of business jason are you ready
2: yep let's serve up some cinema slop
1: Last week, we watched Wonder Woman defeat Ares with all the brutality and finesse of a true poet warrior queen. So naturally, we asked ourselves who stands behind this wonderful leader, and we wanted to see what her support staff would do in space. So we followed Rosario Dawson on the shuttle from the Earth sticks to the space Gatlinburg that is The Adventures of Pluto Nash.
2: Yeah, regretfully, we watched The Adventures of Pluto Nash, made in 2002.
1: What, nothing witty to say?
2: I just don't have it in me this time. This movie broke me in ways (laughs) I can't comprehend.
1: All right, fine. I'll save the day. This week on Cinema Slap, we watched Ron Underwood direct a cinematic dumpster fire. Cool.
2: That does it. Let's move on to cast.
1: Sweet. (coughs) Ah. Clear that
2: out. All right, so as John said in the beginning synopsis here, uh, Rosario Dawson's in this movie. She plays Dina Lake. She's
1: just a small-town
2: girl. She's from the mean streets of Salt Lake City. Flew up to the moon. I didn't know
1: the Mormons had space travel. (laughs) I mean,
2: everyone in this movie has space travel. The main character here is Eddie Murphy, obviously. He plays Pluto Nash. And he is basically
1: just Eddie Murphy in this movie. He took a few moments in this movie to play other versions of himself from other movies, but those were also him. Oh,
2: yes. Yes, they're very subtle. It takes the trained eye to see it. <laughs> sure. Uh, this uh, also stars Randy Quaid. He plays a robot named Bruno. He's a Model 63, which is important, apparently. And they're all all the way up to Model 78 in this movie, so he's really behind the times.
1: It's kind of like how uh, I'm actually editing this podcast on a Tandy.
2: Yeah, just like that. And then we got, you know, Joe Pantalona. Joey Pants. Joey Pants. You know him from Bad Boys. He's the no-nonsense police captain.
1: Yeah, he's the garbage chief of Bad Boys.
2: And then his uh dumbass partner is uh Victor varnadu
1: I think it's Varnado.
2: Varnado. That makes sense. I like Varnado better.
1: <laughs> Varnado is like the Olivia Newton-John version of this guy.
2: He plays Kelp. He's uh I don't know, they're just like the dumbass twins. They're horrible.
1: Well, I just want to point out that if your name is Kelp, you're not getting respect from anybody.
2: <laughs> no. And then we got Jay Moore. Uh we got Luis Guzman. He's—I call him Guzman ex Machina.
1: He might be the only actor I paid a compliment to in this movie.
2: <laughs> There's two: got James Rebhorn. He's—he's he's just general villain, and then uh, Peter Boyle. I don't know—I don't know how they got all these actors in
1: this. Yeah, I mean the cast is great.
2: I know how they got them. They paid them because this budget was out of control. But Peter Boyle plays a role in a detective that helps Pluto Nash do shit.
1: Are you sure he's a detective? Because I—I distinctly got the impression it was like his dad. It's like his detective
2: potential dad
1: yeah it's like his spiritual father in detecting even though he's a criminal
2: yes okay <laughs> there's no boundaries in this movie john
1: there's also no connections
2: god no connections
1: plot what are you talking about
2: <laughs> uh we got bert young he he does a surprise appearance in the beginning you know him from rocky
1: he's uh uncle polly
2: bert young in this movie has about the same amount of lines as like frankie faisan from fucking maximum overdrive mm-hmm. and he does a better job of acting in this movie even though he's only in it for i don't know four minutes
1: when i think all he does is just he doesn't do anything outlandishly stupid to
2: round out this star-studded cast we got pam greer plays pluto nash's mother flora nash I
1: want to point out i i met her she's a real nice lady
2: we're big fans of pam greer here on the slop and uh john cleese for some reason
1: i think this was actually in that that 90s era where john cleese like must have just gotten his like 12th divorce because he cameos in every movie for like a decade well it
2: turns out When he signed up for his, you know, centennial SAG card, it comes with cameo appearances and anything he wants.
1: Basically, he cashed in his Lifetime Achievement Award early for 30 cameos. Yeah. So yeah,
2: John Cleese plays uh, James, the, I don't know, console bot in a car.
1: I just described him as this movie's Johnny Cab.
2: Yeah. Love it. That's, That's the cast. I think that might have taken us longer to do the cast for a terrible movie than it does for most.
1: We care more about the cast than the movie in this instance, I think. At least I do.
2: It's a movie trope. We get over it
1: we get over it.
2: (laughs) So yeah, let's talk about it. John and I both have feelings on this movie and um, they're different, it seems, because we had, you know, some previous conversations, which is something we try not to do before we get on this and talk about movies. We try and do it as blind as possible. So John, What are your feelings on this?
1: I came into this expecting this to be a train wreck of the variety that you just can't turn away from. Um, I expected it to be a monumental dumpster fire just full of the worst decisions and the most baffling things. My expectations were subverted in that it turned out to be just kind of boring nonsense. I didn't actively hate most things individually in the movie, but the end result was I just, I didn't give a shit about this movie. It was just a bunch of stuff thrown together, and there was no cohesiveness, and I don't know. The cast was great. Individually, lots of people did okay, but the script was stupid, and I was checking my watch the whole fucking time.
2: Yeah, this movie has a very large problem. It doesn't scale. Like, it doesn't understand scale. Mm-hmm. I believe, from what I've read, this movie was written back in, like, 1985. Or at least started to be written in 1985. It might have taken a decade to write it. And then it was filmed in 2000, but it wasn't released for another two years. But it just has a large problem with scale. We'll talk about it through the rest of the plot parts, but even just opening up, like... The science scale of it. Like, they portray Earth to be, like, a couple miles away. Right. I mean, it's dumb. It's 2002, or 2000 when this is filmed, and there are effects you can purchase, and they have purchased many that can make that look correct.
1: The science in this movie was at best, just it was a scenario. It it was not actually part of the story. You know, the fact that it was in the future and it was in space and on the moon ultimately amounted to nothing.
2: Oh, absolutely. The fact that it was on the moon was barely even a, a part of this movie. The
1: net effect it had on the plot was that they said space in front of things like we were talking about earlier, you know, Rosario Dawson comes from earth to the moon. But even that, if you just changed it from earth to the moon to like England to America, it would functionally be the exact same she came a far distance you know
2: yeah and the in the time difference right this is it's very important that you know that this takes place in like 2080 and 2087 and though and just the way they portray just small amount of years like that like it's been forever it just It irritated me.
1: See, it's funny that you say that it had been forever because it felt to me like everything was a minimal extrapolation of current technology. Like, I I don't know, instead of uh, cell phones, they had video phones, you know, like er everything was basically the same, but just like somebody spent 20 minutes like how could we futurize that
2: well right but the technology didn't feel like it was that old right like it didn't feel like it was forever ago but the rest of it did the way they treated like cultural events and other things it made it feel like it was thousands of years ago not 80 years ago right
1: do you have any disagreements with my assessment no well why don't you uh start us off with the plot and we'll just you know see where this goes let's let's do this
2: so we open up this movie You know, they got to show that it's on the moon. It's very important. The moon is supposed to be a character in this, even though it's not really. And then movie immediately like waves its magic wand to say that gravity isn't going to be a thing because they have areas of full gravity on the moon whatever who the fuck cares
1: I, I i just want to point out you've already jumped past my first note that the music uh, that opens this thing is classic rock which then transitions to classic rock with the techno backbeat which then transitions to 90s hip-hop over classic rock with the techno backbeat which then transitions to orchestral like james horner music it is the worst series of musical decisions i have heard combined in a long time
2: yeah i have notes about music later on in my notes too the music in this movie make this movie feel cheap
1: Oh, it's bizarre. Yeah.
2: It's like Casio tones, man. It's like, did they just hire Ron Underwood's kid to score this on his Casio keyboard? Like,
1: I think they used a Simon for a couple scenes. Doop, 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 doop.
2: Simon says, with awful music, hand wavy, movie magic, uh, we enter Tony Francis's or whatever Tony or Anthony, whatever his full name is, Jimmy Moore's character's club he's got what an irish name yeah he's supposed to be polish but he's in scottish garb no idea you know they make the stupid joke like oh you're wearing a goddamn kilt take the skirt off or whatever be a man just stupid
1: he's playing an accordion in a kilt and singing to an empty room that features just eddie murphy it's just
0: sad
2: you know i live a lot of my days in a dive bar and that looked like a dive bar on the moon apparently the moon doesn't have enough alcoholics because that's where you find them in dive bar holes
1: i mean it's basically like the prostitute dive bar from total recall but it's the same sort of like building materials are like leftover tubes and things that they found sitting around and just stapled together and then painted and for some reason it is like lit up like the day <laughs>
2: So uh Jay Moore and Eddie Murphy start talking. Jay Moore pours a, uh, Eddie Murphy a high life, which I appreciate. There's still high life on the moon in eighty years.
1: I mean, it is the champagne of beers.
2: I- I'm drinking one right now in honor of this movie. But, uh, you know, I guess he's had a couple high lives because Eddie Murphy has to go break the seal and enters the moon's worth, worst bathroom.
1: Which is kind of like the Candyman bathroom from Caprini Greens. Yeah. Except for it looks more like it was all put there on purpose instead of accrued over time. That
2: bathroom looked like a feature of the bar, not a problem. It's like going to a, a train spotting themed bar. Right, And yeah. this is the worst bathroom in Scotland.
1: It looks like somebody pooped on the floor, but then you like kick it and you realize it's painted concrete.
2: It hurts your toe. <laughs> so Eddie Murphy... And uh, here's a commotion outside and we find that Burt Young's character Gino is out there roughing up Tony Francis because apparently Tony Francis is an idiot and uh, borrowed two and a half million dollars from a loan shark.
1: Which doesn't seem like a lot considering this is like 200 years in the future.
2: No, it's not. That's it's another part of the problem with the scale of this is that $2.5 to open up a bar on the moon seems like saying, I just bought a business for $4 here today.
1: <laughs> you couldn't open up a bar for $2.5 in my city right now. No,
2: I think uh, the bar I go to has quoted me at like $5 million when I was like, would you ever sell? And he's like, yeah, five mil." I was like, oh, Jesus. You know. So the scale of it already is weird to me. I looked this up. By today's numbers, the moon landing, the original, cost $107 billion dollars. Like, you gotta consider scale, and they, they're not doing that.
1: Well, plus inflation.
2: But, you know, Tony Francis is his friend, so he wants to help him out. So instead of getting having him just have batter acid poured down his throat, he, he pays his debts off and takes over the bar.
1: And that's the last we see of Burt Young. I mean, it's actually the last we see of Jay Moore for quite a while, which I was surprised because he seemed like he was going to be a main character at this point.
2: I mean, he is a main character, but he's just not a main character that's featured in this film.
1: <laughs> he's a main character the way that Joe Pesci is a main character in Lethal Weapon.
2: Right. Exactly. So we got a seven-year time jump.
1: When it comes back, Pluto is now the operator of the bar.
2: He is. He's running Pluto's nightclub or whatever.
1: Yeah, and he's converted it into the bar from Super Mario Brothers instead of the bar from Total Recall. Exactly. So it seems really popular, which is funny because he's bartending at his own place, and it seems like if it was that popular, he wouldn't have to do that.
2: You know, some owners just like to be hands-on, I guess.
1: But it's one of those movie things where like, they're clearly trying to tell the audience, this is a good move Pluto has turned this place around, but it kind of looks like, I don't know, like kind of a fancy Chipotle and he's doing his own bartending. So it's not that convincing.
2: Well, it is a Tuesday. He's probably just trying to keep the PNL down.
1: I know. I'm just saying I'm not buying the turnaround story.
2: <laughs> yeah. And also in club life, seven years seems like a long time because clubs usually open up are hip for a year or two and then close down and get reconcepted into something else.
1: It's one of the many reasons why I don't understand clubs. I have bars for life. This is when Rosario Dawson is introduced with basically a penis stamping joke.
2: I don't even know what the penis stamping is you're talking of.
1: Okay, so he gets done being all misogynistic and weird with his buddies and talking to the DJs and shit, and he had said when he bought the debt from the mobsters that the life would be smoking a cigar and watching everybody make money for you in your own bar. And so he pulls the cigar out and he holds it up in front of his face with this big old smile. And it's very phallic the way it's like directly rigid. And then she bumps into him. He drops the cigar on the ground and she steps on it with her shoes. I assume it's like symbolically crushing his dreams, but I took it as crushing his wang.
2: I see what you're saying now. And yes,
1: because now he's been emasculated by this sudden intrusion on his life
2: i would say there's like some sort of symbolic thing for the rest of the movie right there but uh i don't think this movie thought that far ahead
1: if there is some symbolism in it it's just that things are about to not go the way he planned
2: yeah it it, the movie does try it just doesn't do it very well
1: and i'm not into dick stamping but i might consider it for rosario because you know she's one of my faves so i'd I'd
2: let her step on someone's (laughs) penis not my own of course
1: i'd let her stamp on your penis
2: Sorry, people. I didn't mean to offend
1: you. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm just going to cut around all the apologies and weave in the offense. That's good.
2: So Dawson approaches, steps on penis, <laughs> steps on a symbolic penis, and, uh, you know, is like, I need to talk to the owner, you know, Pluto Nash, and she's a singer. She wants a job.
1: It's basically like, I'm not going to hire you to sing. I'll hire you to wait tables. And if you're lucky, you can keep the tips.
2: Yeah, you can, you can make all your tips so you can get back to earth and get off this horrible moon rock.
1: There's two funny things that just happened. One, everybody knows, knows who Pluto Nash is in this movie. He's infamous, but nobody knows what the fuck he looks like. Because uh, this happens a couple times where they're oh, you're Pluto Nash. Yeah. Two, he basically says, oh, you just exhausted all of your resources to get to the moon. Let me help you get back to Earth. Which is like, so just get the fuck back to where you started? That doesn't help. Yeah, go
2: back to the mean streets of Salt Lake City. I guess some time elapses. She's now waiting tables.
1: I think it's actually the end of the same night.
2: Does she start working that night? We've already kind of been introduced to the people I'm going to bring up, which I call Dumbass 1 and Dumbass 2, because all crime people need to be bumbling idiots in this movie for some reason. They work for Rex Crater.
1: Well, yeah, they're basically uh, like Spike and what's his name from Super Mario Brothers.
2: Oh, I mean, you keep bringing this up, and the more you say it, the more I'm realizing that this movie is basically just a riff on Super Mario Brothers.
1: I think it's parallel development because they both had the same horrible idea at the same time.
2: Rex Crater wants to buy the bar for $10 million. Ooh, maybe
1: maybe he's a T Rex.
2: I mean, this makes sense given Super Mario Brothers. Now
1: I'm going to just do this for the rest of the episode.
2: <laughs> <laughs> John, you better be careful because we're going to watch that movie next.
1: It's fine with me. I'm. Fucking Bob Hoskins is great. I love Puerto Rican uh, Luigi.
2: So, yeah, they want to buy the bar for $10 million. Again, scale. The fuck? Like, yeah, it appreciated in value. It's a successful business, but $10 million still seems fucking low. Well,
1: especially since he uh, he had to renovate all those tubes and shit. He probably sank at least a couple mil into that.
2: Yeah, and it's so hard to get wood in the on the moon, so.
1: <laughs> all those wood metal tubes. <laughs> this is
2: the other thing that, I, that irritates me about, I don't know, writing in general. Why is it Pluto Nash you know named after a dwarf planet now it was then a planet and then rex crater right there's craters on the moon the fuck is up with writers just naming people after the things that they're involved
1: in i guess it's better than naming them after the things on their desk like pluto stapler
2: it would be stapler nash thank you very much i couldn't make it through
1: (laughs) i was laughing just looking at your face trying
2: (laughs) all the words they're too many (laughs)
0: Hey, Cinema Slop fans, it's me, Zach, the writer, winner of the 1994 Creative Writer Award in Mrs. Dilbone's third grade. Today's question, what's the deal with punny character names? Mountain climbers named Cliff, cruise directors named Tom, why would a writer be so obvious? Well from my perspective, it could be one or two things. First, it could be a writer's first draft shortcut, which I'll admit I've done before. First drafts can be daunting, and writers often just want to get the idea out and on paper as fast as they can. And sometimes it's easier to keep the players straight when you give a character a name that relates to, well, their character. My personal trick is to name my characters as the actors who I see playing the parts, which isn't exactly the same thing as obvious pun names, but it's the same mindset. Something to keep it straight in the writer's head. The key here is not to make it too obvious to any potential first draft readers. If you're writing a murder mystery, maybe don't give the guy who did it the last name Butler. Either way, the plan is that the writer will change the name to something less obvious by the second draft. Unless, of course, they stumble into the second reason, film executives. At the end of the day, this is a business and the writer wants to get paid. Often the way to do that is to easily sell your script or pitch to executives, and that means finding the easiest way to tell your story to them. I'm hesitant to say dumb it down, but writers don't want executives to get lost in the details. Here, it's more important to convey the story itself than it is to have 100% authenticity on character names. At this stage, at least. Unfortunately, sometimes executives want to feel like they're contributing. They may be the ones to throw out, Hey, what if we name this talk show character Pori Movich? Get it? (laughs) There's nothing more soul-crushing than nodding along to a terrible idea from your boss. All you can hope for is that you can get another pass and fix all the obvious names before the thing goes into production. Of course, there's always the third possibility. Bad writers. Unless a writer names an astronaut something like, I don't know, Rex Crater? Then they're not even trying.
1: It's a mindfuck, you know, it's a thinker. It's only
2: a thinker because you're thinking about how stupid it is. <laughs> so uh he hands him the ten million dollars, Pluto looks at it, Hillary Clinton's on the ten thousand dollar bill.
1: Which I thought was funny, and they do they do refer to them as Clintons later.
2: They do. And I love this. Now, two thousand two when this movie came out, that would have been like uh <laughs> but now it's like oh
1: god. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I know this movie's not that good at predicting the future, but it kind of is.
1: It's now an alternate future where it's like, can you imagine the world that almost was and then became Pluto Nash? Because if she became president, that's the Biff Tannen universe, right? Because yeah. th- that's the one that broke off and that we don't live in. But then somehow the end result of that is that thousands of years later, culture regresses into Pluto Nash.
2: Yeah, that's that's horrible. There should be like an entire study on this movie for that reason.
1: But even even the
2: scale of this, like... Had she become president, I don't know, or around the time that she would have been president in this movie's universe, it's still absurd to think that Hillary Clinton would be on a. U.S. bill. I
1: think it's funny that they have paper money in this world in the first place. We're basically already like 70% a paperless society. Well,
2: the paper money comes into play a lot in this movie because the other money is based on your fingerprint.
1: Felt sort of just silly to me to have a future this far ahead that was still like gangsters wandering around with wads of bills, you know?
2: Yeah, if this were written more modern times, all the paper currency would have been replaced with cryptocurrency. Yeah, exactly. You know, Pluto turns down the money. He's like, I'm not selling Rex Crater by bar. I'll more than 10 million dollars anyway it doesn't matter and uh they get testy and then bruno the model 63 robot comes out
1: which uh if anybody ever designs a robot with a head shaped like this they should be fired if you had control over the physical existence of your product you would at least i don't know select an enclosure that was oh not just lumpy no i get it
2: because the female robots in this are all super attractive you know objectified things
1: all the female robots are basically sex bots yeah
2: but the male robots are all lumpy ball-headed weirdos
1: the male robots are all nfl players six years after retirement they're physically imposing but they all look like they're kind of arthritic and they don't move very well
2: and they all speak like they have cte
1: yeah i'll probably cut that joke just because it's sad There's <laughs> too much truth in that one <laughs> It's just
2: too much truth. Well,
1: and and the way that he's smiling makes everything he says a joke that doesn't land, whether it's a joke or not. Every time he opens his fucking mouth, it just kills the scene.
2: And they give him that weird, like, robotic after effect to make it sound more like that Matrix sound, like dial-up.
1: On top of that, like, they give him, like, weird, like, little mechanical, like, servo noises, you know?
2: Which is dumb, because sometimes he moves fluidly, like a human would, and sometimes he moves robotically. The sounds never line up.
1: I think that his movement changes based on, like, whether or not his recent check had cleared.
2: (laughs) Did I get paid this week, guys?
1: Check my bank balance. Uh, The robot needs a little grease. Come on.
2: You mean this movie's $40 million over budget? All right. We'll see if this ever gets released. So, yeah, uh... There's some little fighting, Bruno does some stuff, whatever. We move on. It's later that evening. Rosario Dawson comes, brings up Pluto Nash like a couple bottles of booze, and uh is kinda like, Is this like hazing the new girl or is he gonna sexually molest me or whatever?
1: Yeah, it's basically a pre Weinstein joke. Yeah. Is this where I get groped by the boss?
2: And you know, Miguel, we didn't mention him. Miguel's in this, he's cool, I guess. He uh, is like, oh no, Pluto's not like that. He's a he's a nice person. So she takes it up. She doesn't get assaulted in any sort of manner.
1: He's like, thanks for the bottle of vodka and vermouth. I'll make my own martini. And then he pours them both straight in his mouth, which is just not probably uh, impressive.
2: No, it's like the, what is it? Where kid put milk and chocolate milk in his mouth and shook it to make chocolate milk.
1: <laughs> I like your version better.
2: <laughs> where dumbass one calls him up and is like, hey, uh, how about that offer? You going to take it? No. And uh, he turns it down again and then uh, the bar blows up and the worst ec- movie explosion i have ever seen
1: (laughs) yeah pluto kind of dives to the floor and i'm doing air quotes with dives it's more like pluto sort of gingerly sits down on the floor he kind
2: of like pulls dawson down with him we're going to the floor now he's like
1: i was actually already doing this and then the explosion just happened it
2: looked horrible
1: this looks worse than i i recall the 90s looking and this is late 90s so it should be on the better end
2: yeah the, the cgi and whatever computer effects in this movie should be good Mm -hmm. this was filmed in 2000 i compared this to watch like watching an episode of red dwarf yeah and
1: and after you told me that before i watched it and i kind of got offended because i think the red dwarf actually made better use of materials for their sets and things
2: like the colors all off the lighting's all horrible
1: well it's all very studio you know so it has that studio tv feel Mm -hmm. you know where everything is flatly
2: lit it might as well been shot like a sitcom with three cameras in a studio audience
1: so your comparison, uh, while offensive because you said Red Dwarf, is basically accurate. I mean, I didn't
2: mean to sully Red Dwarf in any...
1: No, you didn't mean to. You just <laughs> did.
2: Compare it. <laughs> I later compared this to Power Rangers, so...
1: that, that Closer, warmer.
2: You're getting there, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I just want to make a uh, a music reference at this point for this actiony bit. I just wrote, music note, Atari Teenage James Horner Riot. It's like Indiana Jones Fuck the Matrix. <laughs>
2: Oh, I hope he had a good time. Bought it dinner afterwards. I hope so. I don't know. Like, there's a, there's a whole, like, gunfight chase scene. It's Mario Brothers-esque. Now that you say that, it's very <laughs> Mario Brothers-esque. Like, it's like the scene where the stupid little bomb's dangling from all the goo and just keeps falling. That's the scene.
1: The only difference is I remember that scene with the, the thing dangling down. I don't remember this one.
2: Yeah, so after the explosion, Pluto Nash goes to look for who just blew up his fucking bar. They're outside, like, trying to find his people, and then he gets, you know, like a green laser... Pointer shot at him.
1: Yeah, if you took a desert eagle and then anodized, steeled it red and then made it shoot Star Wars lasers.
2: They look like G.I. Joe guns. But at the end of the movie, you find out that they're not lasers because they pull slugs off their vests. So they're not laser shooters, but the bullet, the slugs have lasers behind them. It's so stupid.
1: They're not laser shooters. They just make pew pew noises when they fire slugs.
2: <laughs> yes. Like the best thing I can compare them to is like when you have tracer bullets.
1: Oh, no, dude. Do you remember those Nerf footballs that had whistles on the side of them? Yes. It's like that. They're
2: whistle bullets <laughs> with lasers. Yeah. And bee barking.
1: <laughs> you just want me to hashtag Tony Todd again, don't you? I
2: mean, I think Tony Todd would have been better playing Pluto Nash than Eddie Murphy.
1: Probably. But think about that. That could be our new social media strategy is just tagging the wrong actors in movies and hoping that they retreat corrections. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: That's a great strategy.
1: So look, look for uh, Tom Cruise in Starship Troopers next week. <laughs>
2: Let's watch Starship Troopers. That's an oddly good movie.
1: Nah, dude, I love that movie.
2: All right, let's continue this plot and get this bitch over with. There's like a chase, and then they end up in another bar that looks identical to Pluto Nash's bar.
1: I'm pretty sure that they just changed the lighting gels and then bam, new bar.
2: Yeah, they couldn't afford to build another bar set.
1: We have to rent out a second (laughs) community theater stage. God, can we
2: charge tickets to this? We need a studio audience. We need a laugh- laugh track
1: oh man they they bring in the hot in cleveland audience and just like tire betty white to come in and like tell everybody when to clap
2: anyway gunfights terrible uh there's one thing in here that i need to point out when rosario dawson comes in and just starts shooting blindly at people (laughs) there's that weird fucking like sound effect that everyone uses
1: oh it's it's like when a helicopter is like strafing you
2: yeah they're laser gun things that shoot slugs that have whistle effects (laughs) and also when they hit things they make clunk 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 sounds and then Bruno shows up with his guns that are massive and is like, you don't know how to shoot a gun and pulls out these bucking, like, 12-inch goddamn hand cannons and uh, starts blowing up the place. And, uh, I don't know, bad guys die? Sure, Maybe. I don't care. There's a useless motel scene where they plug in Bruno and then he goes to find Roland
1: and Roland is Peter Boyle.
2: I want that pool table that auto resets and I want that fucking pizza machine. Yeah.
1: That, that pool table was the coolest thing in the movie. Straight up technology wise. It was just a pool table that like un- like it ejects the balls from the holes and they re themselves. Yeah. And then the pizza thing was just they ganked the Back to the Future 2 pizza machine, but it only did one slice at a time.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's upsetting, upsetting, but, you know, I still want a pizza machine.
1: When I was a little kid, I thought the Back to the Future 2 pizza machine was literally magic because they put the pizza in the oven and they take it out in the same shot. And it never occurred to me that there was just a guy behind the pizza machine swapping out the tray. <laughs> Let me take this uncooked
2: one and replace it.
1: Fucking magic, right? Like, the child's mind. I was like, oh my god, the future is a mystical place.
2: Did you think that Back to the Future 2 was actually shot in the future?
1: Apparently, I was an idiot child, or I had great suspension of disbelief.
2: So, there's there's some exposition going on during this pool game.
1: Are you sure? Because I'm mostly fixated on pizza.
2: It's very minute, and you have to be listening for it, and possibly have to have watched it twice.
1: But who would do that?
2: I am the only person in, in, in history who's seen The Adventures of Pluto Nash twice (laughs) i feel sorry for you (laughs) You, we're talking about rex crater and how he made his money and apparently used a cloning process to create the best basketball team of all time and he said he made an entire basketball team out of one old guy and then murphy said oh the air jordans right one roland of all people would probably know who the fuck michael jordan is it wasn't that long ago (laughs) come on like that's just stupid Rowling gives the the line of exposition is rex craters believed to be a clone and that's you know that's pretty much the end of that scene
1: i didn't notice that there's a lot of things i didn't notice but as a matter of trivia i took the note of first time i checked my watch 22 minutes into the movie so roughly here i was already bored as shit
2: oh yeah this is only about you know 20 30 minutes in
1: these details are completely absent from my notes because this movie's just not holding my attention
2: it's it's bad Nash goes back to the hotel he's like all right Dina come with me we're gonna go do some other shit because he finds out about the person who cloned some stuff Mm -hmm. and they go to this body shop and uh, this whole Eddie Murphy part of the movie like this is the most Eddie Murphy Eddie Murphy can Eddie Murphy in this movie with Eddie Murphy in it
1: well and this is also them riffing on the total recall you know scene where he goes to select his vacation it's basically the same scene but with Eddie Murphy doing Beverly Hills fake cop routine
2: there's a there's a bunch of body shaming there's all sorts of horribleness
1: Pluto is playing Rosario's husband. He is making all sorts of uh, jokes about how she needs to have a better ass. And this is not funny because she has a very nice butt, which she specifically points out later on. Yes. I was proud of Rosario for getting on screen defense of her ass.
2: Yeah. And during the, where they're like this magical, like body morphine bullshit technology, they basically gave her the Kim Kardashian ass or like the Nicki Minaj ass where it's basically the shelf ass.
1: Right, but they put it on the body of China the wrestler. Yeah. Which was just weird. If you find female bodybuilders attractive, that's fine. But it was incongruous. Like the two parts put together, like you can't just staple body parts together.
2: And they're, they're basically picking out of a catalog. So they're not even trying to like, I don't know. It was a ruse anyway. So it doesn't really matter.
1: But this whole scene is just really an excuse to show off nineties head swapping technology. Yeah. Because like somebody just got a new sun microsystems workstation and they wanted to put it to use.
2: Exactly. I mean, I'd love to go through this movie with like someone that was involved in this from a budgetary standpoint. (laughs)
1: $200 $200 million for this ass.
2: Yeah, I want to figure out what scenes cost the most.
1: You know, and I guarantee you that the answer is going to be like, Peter Boyle broke his ankle and they had to pay him $4 million. <laughs> like, it's going to be some shit you just do not expect. Uh, this was originally Joan Rivers, but then she was hospitalized for food poisoning.
2: <clears throat> Only cool people pee their pants.
1: You heard it here first on CinemaSlob.
2: Technically, you heard it on Billy Madison first. I just repeated it, but
1: you know. Damn it, now that I know that you stole that, I'm not going to use it as a bumper. (laughs) They get some data about somebody named MZM. He has a briefcase.
2: Uh, It's technically WZW.
1: I wrote it backwards, whatever. The movie does the same thing.
2: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But yeah, they get some information about who's doing all this body work and cloning and all this other shit from the body adjuster. I don't know what the fuck they're called.
1: She's basically a body barista.
2: Yeah, there you go. So they head back to uh, the hotel. Guess who's there? It's Pam Greer.
1: Yay!
2: Looking hot as ever.
1: I actually wrote, she looks great.
2: Uh, and so does Dawson. She says, oh, that's your mother. She looks more like your sister.
1: Just to throw us off from that, she immediately starts doing the Jewish mom thing. So,
2: Oh, yeah. And she's like, oh, you should be nicer to your robot.
1: <laughs> which was actually something my mom would probably say. Uh,
2: which is great, because Bruno, throughout this entire film, looks like he's dejected as all fuck until the end. Because <laughs> Eddie Murphy has a new friend.
1: He's jealous, you know, and he should be, because... If Rosario Dawson came and started hanging out with me, I would totally stop talking to you.
2: I mean, that's fine. I'd I'd understand that, though.
1: Yeah. Well, you would be a little asshole about it.
2: Yeah, you, I would be.
1: <laughs> just not to me.
2: I would take it out on my wife. Yeah. Your friends piss you off. You take it out on your loved ones. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: The, the criminals find them. Dumbass one and dumbass two. But I don't think dumbass one is there. It's just dumbass two this time. he's directing people to go up and down stairs and up elevators and all this other shit. And you know, the the person that rented the room to them calls up to Pluto because he's a friend, of course. I don't know, another gunfight ensues. But with this one, this one has an added bonus of they push a wall onto people and then jump on it. And that's stupid.
1: I kind of liked that. It was stupid because there's no way in the future that they should be able to do that. I just thought it was creative to just Crush your enemies with construction material.
2: Well, I mean apparently this hotel was built from IKEA materials because all I had to do is like undo two bolts and then the whole thing collapsed.
1: Yeah, Crichton took care of it.
2: Crichton, a K Bruno. This is a hero-driven movie, so they get away.
1: This is where they steal a car with its own Johnny Cab. Of course, this movie steals fucking Johnny Cab from, you know, Total Recall. And in this one, like I said, it's John Cleese. And when they finally get the car running, uh, we get some CGI of the car hovering away. And I just wrote, I'm impressed that the car actually has a reflection on it.
2: Not that this is important, but I just, I hate these sorts of things. He's talking about this Chrysler and how it rides on a 14-inch cushion of air. I'm like, what the fuck, dude, come on. Cars can't float on air.
1: No, you see, it's it's really simple. They're on the moon. Everything's held together with force fields, right? So a force field creates a cushion that they put air inside of it, and then it just rolls down the street like it's on a giant beanbag
2: whatever but they should have just been on wheels like everything else flying cars are stupid
1: it would have probably saved them about 20 million dollars in, like you know shitty cgi
2: put them on wheels
1: cars with wheels can drive on the moon this hovering car looks worse than the land speeder in star wars star wars was made in 1977 and with practical effects this was made in 2000 with cgi yeah it's not a great return on investment guys
2: no but now we get our second future reference trump has a realty agency on the moon it's
1: great. Yeah, that's that's how it should be. Trump should have a real estate and Clinton should have been president.
2: Yeah. This movie got it right.
1: Thanks for annoying the fuck out of me movie. <laughs> right.
2: Uh, so this is like I think this is what you said was the first time you laughed in the movie.
1: Oh yeah. They're they're driving away and Eddie Murphy is popping the champagne that he steals out of the back of the car and he's trying to give it to Rosario and they cut to John Cleese's little disembodied head and he just says my lord he's going to get drunk with her and have his way with her. It made me smile and that was the first smile this movie got out of me and it's not because it was a good line it's because John Cleese delivered it well.
2: Yeah no John Cleese delivered all of his lines well all like 20 of them.
1: Really most of them I'm pretty sure they just said say this now and then he did it in the John Cleese way then he left and collected his money.
2: But uh, this is where I wrote the remixes in this movie are fucking all horrible and cheap and make this movie feel cheap because this is where we get a different remix when they show up at the moon outpost and it's horrible.
1: Uh, and, and I wrote the music is perpetually 1990s music with a future remix. It's fucking annoying.
2: Yeah. Cause this is where they like do a remix of like dancing in the moonlight. It's horrible.
1: It's not clearly a musical style that is a futuristic style. It's just different than the old version. So it's like, just add a drum machine and it'll be future. Yeah. It's too insipid to be like an actual remix. It's just they layered some bullshit on top of a good song.
2: So right now, I think we're about, I don't know, 40 minutes into the movie. As I was watching it my second time, I realized that I didn't have enough time to finish this before we started to record this. So it's at this point that I get the you know, speed this bitch up button. So I watched it at uh, two times the rate and it got better.
1: Did it get roughly two times better?
2: (laughs) No, it was like 1.1 times better, but.
1: Well, it's something, I guess.
2: But yeah, they, so they show up in the moon outpost and they give a bunch of useless exposition to where they see like the WZW is actually an MZM and they look that up and it turns out it's Alec Baldwin.
1: Uh, Alec Baldwin has this throwaway line where a reporter asks him a question and he just says, will the what do the what to the what speak English? And that literally was the first time I left.
2: <laughs> yeah. So apparently Alec Baldwin hated this movie so much that he asked to not be credited in
1: it. I understand why.
2: <laughs> I think we all do.
1: And for reference, that's 45 minutes for the laugh. He then
2: uh, does some douchebaggery things and pushes some random guy down some stairs and is like, oh, I pushed the
1: guy down some stairs. <laughs> I say that after doing that.
2: I mean, you got to tell people what you're doing as you're doing it.
1: It's like the Jerry Lewis like rule. Hi, lady. I'm pushing someone down the stairs.
2: Exactly. Speaking of Jerry Lewis, I'm pretty sure he was in that black and white movie that they were watching in the year 2087. Seriously? No. But yeah, they're watching a black and white movie in 1987. Like, what the fuck, guys? You can't remember, like, that old guy that created the best basketball team of all time or anything else from fucking yesterday, but you can watch a movie from almost 140 years ago? Like, fuck you.
1: I mean, at this point, I'm just assuming they're hipsters. For whatever reason, Eddie Murphy... He's dressed like a member of Cool in the gang, and she's dressed like a school marm. Everything is all over the place, you know. In this in this movie, in general, you know.
2: Yeah, it can't figure out what the fuck it's trying to do. The bad guys find out where they're at, of course, and another battle ensues. The dumbasses blow up the outpost. They made this movie seem way funnier in the preview for this movie than this movie actually was.
1: What was the preview? Just that line from Alec Baldwin. The
2: preview, a part of the preview, was the body swapping thing, and then a part of it was when. Kelp dropped the bomb mm-hmm. on the floor of the truck that I'm about to go through. And then when the car blows up a couple scenes later. Oh, okay. So they made it seem like he dropped the bomb and they blew up. Right, right. Which would have been funny. I would have found that hilarious. You should watch the preview because it's a way better movie than Pluto Nash's. <laughs>
1: Sadly, I think that happens more often than it should. It happens. Yeah. Okay. I mean, basically, we're treated to some exceptionally bad zero gravity footage, too.
2: The moon has one sixth the gravity of Earth. And they mentioned this. So they know that it's only supposed to be one sixth, but it looks more like a bucket in like 10th or a 20th of the gravity. But
1: it's like, it doesn't look like low gravity. It looks like some people walking in slow motion. I don't know. It, it, it's how I would have done low gravity in the sixth grade.
2: Yes. Yeah. Bungee cords.
1: Yeah. I actually saw a couple of chords too. Did you? Yeah. I mean, you weren't supposed to, they were like behind actors, but you could see where they were attached and stuff. Like the wire removal wasn't perfect.
2: Yeah. Th- they had to rent out an entire like bouncy castle to get this scene done.
1: <laughs> bouncy castle and moon boots. Come on. You can't do both. It was this,
2: this, I mean, all the fight scenes in this or all the chase scenes are all just real bad. So they blow up the outpost and then we now join this Power Ranger movie already in progress. Because, no, seriously, this looks like a Power Ranger fucking fight scene. Looks like Power Rangers fighting some putties and then (laughs) Rita Repulsa coming out and trying to hurt them or something. For some reason,
1: I thought you were going to say Aretha Franklin, and I was just like, whoa, that got weird.
2: (laughs) That got dark real (laughs) quick. So they get away, obviously. You know, bad guys give chase.
1: It's basically the Springfield gorge scene. Yeah. You know, from The Simpsons where Bart tries to jump the gorge on a skateboard, but, like, they're in a luxury car.
2: Again, gravity, apparently, even one-sixth of it doesn't really exist here were just hand waved away. In
1: this case I, I was a little annoyed that I thought the gravity was too much because I had no concept of how far they were gonna be from the the other side of the gorge when they jumped it, but it felt like they were going super fast and then they obviously they kind of miss it. But you can't tell, because the movie's so bad with time and geography that you, you don't really know how close or far they even are from it.
2: And they jump over the, over the Earth, which is cool.
1: <laughs> it's like the
2: E.T. shot. It's Springfield Gorge with E.T. with bad gravity.:
1: Oh, and I made a note here. the in-car green screen, and this is so bad it made me wish for the 1960s James Bond Rear projection. And two, their outfits are basically just snowsuits with half the stuffing pulled out.
2: Oh, yeah, laughably cheap. But these are strong materials, John. They're made out of nanotubes.
1: (laughs) You just wanted to say nano. I did.
2: So uh, now they're stranded in the middle of nowhere in what looks to be a crater, and they start walking. They run out of oxygen, pass out from that, and then Crichton, or Bruno, is carrying them, and uh, enter Guzman Ex Machina.
1: (laughs) I love that you're going to call him that. (laughs) So now Luis Guzman, Guzman Ex Machina... Arrives in his racist stereotype mobile.
2: Yeah, his uh, Puerto Rican stereotype mobile. <laughs> Would have been better if it was John Leguizamo.
1: If he was like doing his like slight speech impediment voice from uh, Ice Age. Oh, come on, guys. I just want to get you off the moon.
2: I love Luis Gu- Guzman, but I mean, I think Leguizamo fits this movie better.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, Luigi Leguizamo would fit perfectly in the Guzman mobile.
2: He oxygenates the characters.
1: (laughs) Like, oxygenates. pokes holes in them so that the air can get in.
2: Bruno's still outside. Pluto's like, hey, could you bring my robot inside? And, and, you know, he pulls the Italian job like, I had a bad experience bullshit. (laughs) And it's like, no, I don't want to. But for you, Pluto Nash, I'll do anything. And goes and gets him. And he jump starts him by clipping a fucking alligator clip to his ear. And then one, to where his penis would be. And it's just like this weird little like, negative pole for him <laughs> to clip it to. It's the weirdest thing ever. I don't even know if you noticed it or not. You might have been drunk and looking away.
1: At this point, I was playing Jenga or something. I don't know.
2: Yeah. This is a good movie to watch on the toilet. Yeah. You just watch it in installments. Every time you poop, just turn on like 20 minutes of it.
1: Man, you have long poops. I'm in and out.
2: I don't know. Some people will take longer than others. Just
1: giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there?
2: That's <laughs> ah, terrible. Did you use a radioactive bidet?
1: <laughs> it's my favorite kind, the water's warm.
2: Yeah, it's tingly. Guzman ex machina drives them to the place they need to be, which is Moon Vegas.
1: And I just want to make sure that we both agree now that Luis Guzman now knows who Pluto Nash is, and he is about to know that he wants to not be noticed, correct?
2: I, I agree with that. Okay,
1: that's all. I just want to make sure we're on the same page.
2: So Pluto Nash borrows some clothes that are being what are they called again? Like uh not importers. He's smuggling. Smuggling. He's smuggling, like, designer clothes to the moon. Like, how is that smuggling? They borrow some clothes. They enter the casino.
1: But see, you're not even noticing. The joke is that they're wearing these comically Miami clothes. And aren't they funny? Because even Crichton has a really obnoxious blonde wig like you might see in a place like Miami. Oh, my God. This movie's so good.
2: Because uh, they're, they're going to Moon Beach. And he's like, I'd drive you to South Beach if I had to.
1: Oh, fuck.
2: Movie broke me, dude. So this is... I think the only part that I thought was kind of funny. Uh, Pluto, Nash, and, and Dina are, they're trying to see Tony because he's going to help him get to Rex Crater. Blah, blah, blah,
1: He's a performer at this place now. His career's taken off.
2: After seven years, he's now a crooner. So they get to the room and they tell Bruno to go like wait by the elevators. And he's approached by the pushiest slot machine ever.
1: This slot machine is like sexually aggressive.
2: <laughs> yes. You know you want to pull my handle, baby.
1: Take me up to your room. I'm like, Jesus
2: fucking Christ. No, the the slot machine is the pushiest thing ever. And then he ends up just ripping her slot arm off. And (laughs) he basically gets detained.
1: Serious question. Is he yanking her arm off because he's mad or because he's excited or what? Like, what's... I
2: don't know. I don't know the reasoning
1: i honestly in this moment i couldn't decide if he was ripping it off to like injure her into leaving him alone or if he was like an M freak that was like just suddenly getting super dominant
2: i have no idea and it's never going to explain itself to you
1: i'm gonna to go to the grave with this one unanswered
2: <laughs> you are you're gonna to have to call up ron underwood himself hey ron remember that horrible movie you did back in 2000
1: no ron i'm not calling about tremors i'm calling about fucking pluto nash
2: could you could you give me some details? Don't make me call Neil Cuthbert the writer of this bullshit.
1: Well the thing is you know I'd fuck it up. I'd be like, Ron, why did Crichton rip that arm off? You'd <laughs> be like, What right the did, fuck are you talking about?
2: Right did <laughs> Crichton rip the arm off the toaster. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: None of it makes sense. It's just a device to put Crichton behind bars.
1: I mean I think they just wanted him out of the uh The shots for like 20 minutes.
2: Yeah, they couldn't afford Randy Quaid's salary.
1: (laughs) His exuberant shrimp cocktail bills were just adding up.
2: Those shrimp need to be 10 12s. Otherwise, he's not eating them.
1: (laughs) I think we cut to Neil Moore or whatever his name is performing a musical number.
2: It's Frank Sinatra.
1: Yeah, yeah. My note is that there's nothing worse than a song and dance number in a movie that you're supposed to be impressed by that is clearly after dialogue recording
2: Ooh, i didn't notice that
1: it annoys the fuck out of me yeah and it just irritates you because everybody's like oh isn't he great And you're like no that's not him you asshole
2: yeah they show up to this it's basically just a frank sinatra show frank sinatra was very popular from like what the 1940s 50s and 60s that is only 130 years ago Like, people still listen to music from before that time. Like, we still listen to operas and shit that were written centuries ago. When a singer, Rosario Dawson's character, who is a singer, turns to Pluto Nash and says, oh my god, it's so original. Yeah. I wanted to choke someone
1: out. Well, of course. I mean, she would have spent most of her career singing Sinatra tunes, you know? Like, it's a standard for a reason.
2: Yeah. And this isn't some vapid bullshit where you're asking some young up-and-coming artist who Tom Petty was. And they don't know. (laughs) Like... This, that isn't what this is, what is going on here, but nobody on the moon knows apparently any Earth history. They they get up there, and it's like, all right, moon 101, forget everything about Earth.
1: Do you think that the moon is just like the new South? It's like, those Yankees from Earth are coming. Let's not, let's not listen to their records.
2: <laughs> well, that's how it is in Futurama, so I assume that's accurate.
1: I mean, this movie stole everything else, so they might as well have stolen like, the moon-Earth divide from Futurama.
2: I wish the Crushinator was in this, because that'd make me much happier.
1: <laughs> Love the Crushinator.
2: When I first watched it, I was like, I know it's not trying to, but I asked the question, is this movie trying to be smart in giving a social commentary on how short people's attention spans are? And I was like, wait, I'm watching Pluto Nash. Of course, that's not it. This is just being stupid.
1: (laughs) I think that your conclusion is the correct one.
2: (laughs) Pluto Nash and and, uh, Dina get spotted, kind of, and they start kissing. Because people won't notice you if you're making out with someone.
1: Honestly, the most unrealistic moment of this entire movie is when she swoons and he doesn't. Exactly. But that
2: was so short. It was like that. Because then we end up with him basically breaking in on Jay Moore in his dressing room. This is one of the things that irritated me enough to want to bitch about it. We meet Jay Moore, or we meet Tony Francis again, and he's successful.
1: Yeah, he he dropped the uh, the kilt and adopted an Italian name. and
2: yeah, Yeah, he's a crooner whatever. We meet his wives. This whole thing pisses me off. Nash is like, oh, so you married twins? And he's like, no, I met the perfect woman and I cloned her. And Rosario says, well, which one's the original? I was like, who cares? All right. So one, would a woman want to be romantically involved with a clone of herself?
1: (laughs) This is sort of the old, if you had a clone of yourself, would you fuck it? Is that old? I mean, I think that anytime (laughs) cloning comes up, that is like part of it, right?
2: I get it. But this could be a good concept, like where robots and clones exist, like political drama, like do do the clones have rights?
1: Well, instead of even entertaining these ideas as jokes, it's just misogynistic. It is. Jay Moore, like they're like, which one's the real one? And he's like, who gives a shit? And that's like, that's the end of that. And this goes back to the ass thing, you know, where Pluto is basically like, I'm going to pick your ass because that's all that matters is what I want. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of just an echo of that same idea.
2: Yeah, it's just horrible, like, property bullshit. Like, women aren't property. Now our main characters part ways. Pluto goes with Tony Francis, and Rosario Dawson goes off to get the robot. And this elevator gag scene is horrible and stupid, and I'm glad it never happened. Uh, you'll have to watch the movie to know what I'm talking about.
1: Got to exposit before you go. They say that your life flashes before your eyes, but it's actually the script. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Must say last line. Yeah, they get out of the elevator. Lo and behold, it's James Rephorn. He's in a lot of things. He's in a lot of good things. He's just unfortunately in this, too. So they get detained and taken up to see the MZM person. And big reveal.
1: Oh, no, this is the biggest reveal.
2: It's the biggest reveal.
1: I mean, we get a full James Bond chair turn. We get violin swells. We get a vertigo shot. This isn't
2: just a chair turn it's an entire chair and desk turn because the whole thing moves as one unit
1: right this is some austin powers space age furniture turn yeah he should have had a
2: cat in his hand a space cat
1: oh a little cat with a moon helmet yes <laughs> a cat in a thin snow suit with a moon helmet
2: <laughs> but it's naked it's a bald cat
1: but he's still petting it but just on top of the helmet
2: well there's fur on the on the suit just not on the cat <laughs>
1: The sad thing is, I think if we had been drunk at a bar talking loudly next to the producers of this film when it was being made, this would actually be what happened. Yeah, probably. Because I'm pretty sure our ideas at this point are just as valid as the, what the movie's doing.
2: Oh, I have a whole like thing about how to make this movie actually work.
1: Well, we'll talk about that at the end in the wrap.
2: Big reveal.
1: MZM is Pluto Nash's clone. Rex.
2: Oh yeah, Rex Crater. We was also MZM.
1: Pluto Nash, Cruto, Pluto Nash, Rex Crater. The names have no connection it seems
2: it doesn't seem but they are kind of connected because they're the only two characters with stupid names now we have eddie murphy
1: two times which basically means that this is just sci-fi dr doolittle yeah or whatever that movie was where he played like seven of them
2: there's a couple of them big mama's house no that was martin lawrence i don't know fuck it we could legitimately end the movie or end this podcast right now nothing else happens
1: let me sum up what my note for this scene is there's the reveal and basically you learn that rex wants the land because he wants to develop the moon for gambling but basically he's got a model of pluto's bar and he wants to make it the premier casino in on the moon this whole thing is a real estate squabble like a corporate land grab for some real estate that's roughly the equivalent of a mid-quality pinkberry yeah so now there's some tussling and they do the old, you know, which one is which. And then I wrote, holy fuck, it's Free Jack now. Because, you know, that's the end of Free Jack. Yeah, so it's an overly complicated plot involving corporate greed and doubles with confused identities that could have been easier accomplished with a little creative lawyering. So, Free Jack. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Rex wakes up after some fighting and then Pluto throws him out a window. Uh, the reason they know it's Pluto is because he says the thing about tips.
2: Yeah, the waitress scene bullshit.
1: Pose on Pluto Nash. Taking over Rex's plan and redesigning his club to be the gas works from Wayne's World. Rosario's singing and it's ADR bullshit. It's the same end as the beginning. Pluto gets a club and then he elevates it.
2: Yeah, and he has the. sits back and smokes a cigar.
1: Yeah, because Rosario stops stamping on his dick. No? No? You're shaking your head down no at me.
2: No, I'm just shaking my head at this fucking plot.
1: Oh. <laughs> okay, well, that's fine.
2: Let's talk about this then.
1: Oh, shit. You're getting into position.
2: There's two scenarios in which this movie can be good and it involves like rewrites out the ass, obviously probably better acting. One way is if you just make this basically space Casablanca,
1: <laughs> 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 they made that not space Casablanca, but post-apocalypse Casablanca. Do you know what movie that was? No, I'm giggling because if you look in the notes, uh, I have two questions, uh, at the very, very top under plot. I have to
2: bring that back up.
1: So what movie does this remind you of? You said Casablanca, right? Yeah. My answer to the question, which I wrote down before we started recording, is a movie that is futuristic Casablanca, which is barbed wire starring Pan Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. It was was a long way to go, but it was worth it.
2: I love that. I mean the the film quality of this the 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 effects quality of this reminds me of something shot in the 80s mm-hmm. you know kind of like the original uh BBC series for Hitchhiker's Guide like the quality is almost similar
1: yeah cuz it's it's that studio style it just it feels very studio
2: yeah it feels very very studio like there's there's too much light at all times and mm-hmm. all that weirdness and everything's delivered so dry and poorly It just feels like there should be a studio audience laughing at this.
1: Well, except that if they were laughing, that'd be inappropriate because the jokes aren't good.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're being told to do something. And the other way that this movie could be better is if we knew that Pluto Nash had a clone the entire time. Mm -hmm. And they shot it differently to where you had to get, you had to, as an audience member, had to guess which Nash we're, we're referring to at this
1: point. Oh, so basically, like, if you almost made it, like, sort of a sci-fi version of Clue, but, like, with clones, like, which one's the Pluto and which one's not? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that could actually be kind of fun.
2: That would be a genuine way to kind of revamp this film into a mechanism that works.
1: Yeah, I mean, either way, you're going to have to rewrite the entire film to change the spirit of it. But... Oh,
2: yeah, you couldn't just re-edit this at all, but the clear, easy way to make this movie... Is just to make it an episode of something like the Twilight Zone.
1: Well, and and I think that really goes to the heart of it because this movie really is only 22 minutes of material, maybe 40 at most. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're when you're comparing it to an episode of the Twilight Zone, it's like it doesn't have to be the Twilight Zone, but this is just stretched and it feels like it.
2: Oh, very much so. Because all you need to do, since he looks identical to Pluto Nash, has all the same memories... From at least from when he was cloned.
1: Which I didn't mention, but that, thanks for pointing that out. It's ridiculous because now memories are a biological component, which just makes no fucking sense. Right. Sorry.
2: No, it's a good point. But he could have just shown up at the bank and be like, hey, can you transfer the title of this to this other corporation? Mm-hmm. I assume there's you know space banks on, on, on the moon that hold titles.
1: One forged signature and it's done, right?
2: Yeah, he could have just printed up a title, like changed it, and said, this now belongs to me. And that's a wholly different movie.
1: And basically that's what Pluto does at the end because Rex dies and then Pluto has the club. So either Pluto did what you just said or he's assumed Rex's identity, which is what I think happened. But there's no real mystery to it. That's what they suggest.
2: Yeah. But this movie could literally be 40 minutes and that would be fine. And it would probably be more enjoyable.
1: Most of this movie is just characters moving from one point to another and us watching that happen. Yeah. Yeah. All the car chases, all the battles like you know in the hotel and all that stuff, they could be completely excised from the film and they could just say, "Oh, the bad guys are coming, and then they run away and instead of having like a ten minute gunfight, they just progress you know
2: yeah, this is a basically just like a video game you're just going through the motions just to get to the end
1: It's almost like somebody made a movie of a video game and titled it Super Mario Brothers, and then they remade that movie and ripped off Casablanca
2: yeah because there, there's a lot of devices they could use to make this feel better they just didn't because it's a terrible terrible written script
1: <laughs> at, at one point um there's there's a point where okay i wrote uh louise blows their cover after giving them their clothing what the fuck the writers of this shit should be fired fuck that the producers should be fired for not reading what the writers fucking wrote
2: <laughs> <laughs> i agree i mean it's they just they just do things because They do them. There's no concern for anything. There's no concern for the audience in this. There's no concern for intelligence. It's just, here you go.
1: It's like, at best, you get a cursory explanation of why we're doing things. But the moment you think about it, you're like, well, that makes no fucking sense. Like Rosario Dawson, her character tags along for all of this because uh, Pluto says, well, the gangsters know what you look like now because there's cameras in all these places.
2: Yeah, they have biometric systems that know who you are.
1: Except that the gangsters don't give a shit about Rosario Dawson. They're trying to kill Pluto Nash. Jay Moore, like, he's a super successful singer. Why? Because we need him to be at this other place later in the movie. We saw him sing early on. He sucks. There's no explanation for this. How'd he get good? I don't know. He changed his name to an Italian name? No, that's not enough.
2: Could have been good with just the wrong, you know, stick, but...
1: But instead they showed us he was awful.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I Like, I think the... There were missed opportunities. It, this movie is destined to lose money regardless of whatever version that we could make up. Like, there's no version of this that makes more than what is $145 million that they spent on this.
1: I don't I don't know the exact budgetary reasons why this was so expensive, but it's like none of the money that they spent is on the screen.
2: Not a dime, aside from the actors.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's like unless Eddie Murphy just cost $100 million, I don't get it. But this movie looks cheaper than Ghosts of Mars, the John Carpenter movie. And that movie looks cheap. Sorry, Pam Greer, for shitting on two of your movies in one sentence. She knows this movie looks cheap. If you tell me this is $100 million, I tell you to go to hell. I'm just like, fuck you. You're lying. That's bullshit. Yeah. Somebody was embezzling. There's no way this is $100 million.
2: No. And if someone said this movie was made in the 80s, you'd be like, oh, this is a cool 80s movie.
1: Oh, this looks really good for an 80s movie.
2: Yeah, this still is like hot garbage plot wise, but it doesn't look so bad now. You know that motion blur that... I don't even know what's motion blur, but like the weird motion-moving things that they put on modern televisions.
1: Oh, the motion-smoothing, yeah. Yeah,
2: motion-smoothing. like f- I, That's what this movie feels like. Like It feels like there's a bunch of motion-smoothing going on. Like, when you do the motion-smoothing, it feels artificial. It feels gross.
1: They call that the soap opera effect because it, it makes things feel like they were shot for TV. You know, you're, you're saying another way of saying it feels like a shitty TV show. Yeah, it does. I don't feel like I have any particular insight into this, but like you said you, you had a take that you thought I might disagree with.
2: Uh, the only take I have that you possibly disagree with is like still kind of enjoy this movie.
1: Oh, I do disagree with that. Yeah. You're wrong. You didn't enjoy it.
2: No, I, I think I kind of did in a weird, like kind of want to hurt myself kind of way.
1: I just had a hard time caring about this movie. Yeah. If I was getting my haircut and this movie was on TV, I wouldn't tell them to change the channel. Right. That's where this movie lives in my mind. Um so it sounds like you're a little more positive on it than that, but
2: I'm I'm slightly more and some of the parts of this that I'm giving it way too much credit for were like when I first watched this and then immediately went to a bar to drink the memories away <laughs> is are they trying to play some of these takes like are they doing like a play on people's attention span because you know modern mooners mm-hmm. don't care about old earth so they don't want to remember like that You know, Frank Sinatra existed or that Michael Jordan existed, even though those are people of recent history. That was my kind of like existential weirdness about this. Is that movie, is this what it's trying to accomplish? Because I'm trying to give this movie more than what it's giving me.
1: You're trying to look for meaning, right? Yeah. I think in some cases that's merited, but my reaction to those same elements was more along the lines of like, God damn it. I hate it when movies pretend to be from the future, but then culture hasn't progressed since that time. I don't know. To me, it was just more lazy.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the year thing was the laziest thing to me. Like they should have shot this out a little bit further. And I was thinking about it. Like most movies did future wrong throughout the eighties, nineties, seventies, what have you. Uh, star Wars did it best because they never gave a date.
1: They said if, galaxy far away so they just kind of took themselves out of the whole time issue
2: yeah but you know alien did it great because they're like three thousand something
1: alien took the opposite of most movies and they just made everything hyper industrial yeah so it was like this is a fucking freighter we don't give a shit about making things fancy you're fancy you know like yeah white 2001 spaceships be damned this is made out of steel and like engines
2: yeah you're poor people doing poor people work.
1: Right. You're a space trucker.
2: I mean, this one just didn't do this, the scale, right? Like they should have pushed us out to at least like 22 something that way they could have had some sort of, I don't know, like people didn't know who Frank Sinatra was. People didn't know who Michael Jordan was. Right. People in our lifetime are going to live to see this year and it's not going to be anything like what it is. This movie. And it's going to be a joke.
1: Well, and, and that's one of those things that I always sort of made fun of. Like I think Blade Runner, I think we're close to the date that takes place. 2018 or something but it's like blade runner is a fucking fantastic movie but every time people watch that movie post that date which is inside of living memory they're just gonna laugh at it i don't know it's it's just like a little bit of a self-goal right <laughs> like
2: yeah the clinton dollars and the trump reality sign like i don't remember
1: 2000 culturally speaking 2000 was not a particularly interesting year
2: yeah aside from the election that's it and I don't know if this was supposed to be like a political commentary, like the Clinton dollars or the Trump reality thing. Like, if you lived here, you'd be home already. Whatever bullshit. Uh, I don't know if those were meant to be anything more than just gags. Watching it now, those are meaningful things. I don't I don't know. I, I know it didn't mean to do that, but it did.
1: The Clinton thing, I think, made sense because everybody knew that she had political aspirations. The Trump thing, I think, is just a lucky guess that that's even relevant, you know. But yeah, I, I, I think that's just like all... Fucking movies try to like project pop culture forward and that's what was going on at the time and apparently it's still going on.
2: Yeah. I mean it's gonna go on forever. I mean it's not gonna die. Movies need <sighs> pop culture to live. I mean, now we need, f- right. need interconnected universes to make a fucking movie now, so
1: Which is funny because like I'm off in the corner just going like, God damn interconnected universes, can't I just have one movie? If I wanted to watch a fucking TV show, I'd get cable.
2: No, I get it. I agree with you. Or I'd I'd actually watch the Netflix subscription I have.
1: I think the last 15 minutes or so, you and I have just had a tone of sort of just parental disappointment. I think that sums up my view of this movie pretty well. Like, I just, I expected more. I mean,
2: given the, the reputation of this movie, I kind of expected less.
1: Well, well, let me rephrase. In specific, you're right. This movie wasn't as bad as I was led to believe, but I just have a condescending sort of like, you can do better.
2: I don't know. Do you want to give it the final rating or do you want to talk about...
1: It's no secret. I'm a down. I'm a down on Pluto Nash. There are movies that piss me the fuck off, okay? This is not Only God Forgives. This is not a horrible, onerous piece of pretentious garbage like other films, like Only God Forgives. That is a truly awful film. This is mediocre to the point of just being difficult to sit through. Um, I think this is more renowned for its financial failures than its actual merits. And like we said, I'm not mad at this movie. It just kind of is there.
2: I think I'm going to give it an up. Not to just be a you know different voice but because of its financial reputation i expected something truly horrible mm-hmm. and, and no don't get me wrong the acting was bad the direction was bad the f- director of photography was bad like the sound was horrible but this reminds me of a better you know better time of movies to where things could be campy and awful and still get across some something so i enjoyed it so i'll give it an up
1: I think you're giving it the Pepperidge Farm. You're just like Pepperidge Farm remembers a simpler time.
2: Yeah. No this this is a movie that that would never be made today. I like this better than I liked a lot of other movies we've seen.
1: It, it was a cotton candy movie.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's going to be a split decision, guys.
1: I just want to point out that's two in a row. And it's not on purpose.
2: I I do. I'm not trying to give this an up because John gave it a down. I do enjoy this at some level.
1: Yeah, but I think if we do three in a row, we have to get a divorce. That's the rules, you know? Yeah,
2: I suppose. (laughs) But our next movie...
1: Segway, I get it. I see what you're doing. Yeah.
2: So we had two favorites in this, and for different reasons. My favorite was Randy Quaid, because he gave the most awful portrayal of a robot known to filmography ever.
1: Yeah, he did. Although a competing type of robot would be my favorite, John Cleese.
2: Yeah, like a hologram?
1: Yeah, like a holobot. Holobot? Uh, and, and really it's just because I fucking love John Cleese, not because he did anything particularly interesting. I'm pretty sure he walked into a green screen, hammered his lines out about 20 minutes and then left with the paycheck. I'm not really going to fight that hard. I just, John Cleese is fucking great.
2: Yeah. And we couldn't agree on a John Cleese movie. So we decided to go with Randy Quaid.
1: And what did we settle on?
2: Uh, we are we're doing independence day guys. We're doing it. (laughs) We're not doing independence day.
1: There's enough commentary out there on that one. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Although it'd probably get us more lessons, but who the fuck cares anymore?
1: You mean nobody's searching for this one that we're going to pick? Probably not. They are if they're looking for the Weather Channel.
2: Yeah, we're doing a movie called Hard Rain.
1: A movie that no one's described as a classic or described at all for the last decade. That's
2: why we're doing it here at Cinema Slop. We're trying to pick up the pieces on Films Forgotten.
1: We're taking the awful so that you don't have to. So this movie, I just want to point out, uh, is also a 90s action film. Um, so we're getting, we're kind of rounded out the nineties. We hadn't had any for a long time. And
2: yeah, we took a short trip into the two thousands. We seemed a bit disappointed. So yeah, do you, uh, with your down, do you want to recommend things that aren't Pluto Nash? Are you, are you going to recommend barbed wire?
1: (laughs) I mean, unless you just want to watch. Pam Anderson in leather for two hours. I mean, not particularly. It's kind of more painful than Pluto Nash.
2: It seems like a long pornography.
1: Barbwire specifically is a worse movie than Pluto Nash, just for what it's worth. Got it. I'm going to honestly, I'm going to say Super Mario Brothers is my counter recommendation. It's an equally bad film, but I like it better.
2: Oh, I mean, I'm on usually on the losing end of this because I like Super Mario Brothers. I think you and I might be the only people that do.
1: I unironically enjoy that movie. I mean, I just like Super Mario Brothers. It's, I recognize it, not a good movie, but it's a very fun movie. One more movie uh, as, a, as a sci-fi film that I enjoy, Spaceballs. I'm going Super Mario Brothers and I'm going Spaceballs. Those are my two counter recommendations.
2: Now, I probably shouldn't recommend something against something I like, but I would say anybody that remotely gets or enjoys this movie, you should watch Red Dwarf.
1: Well, I think Red Dwarf is it's a fantastic comedy, but it's basically a science fiction TV show in the vein of Star Trek that takes the science fiction aspect almost as seriously as it takes the comedy aspect. Yeah, so it's what this movie wanted to be.
2: Exactly. And the scale of it is much much better and the this the direction the 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 quality of film matches its style better than this does so
1: and it's a bbc tv show so the seasons are short it's easy to get through um just check it out it's a classic yeah
2: we're not we're not apt to be recommending series because we're about you know the movies but fuck it it's good you should watch it
1: all right cool i think we should close this fucker out yeah let's do it
2: the music for this episode was provided by vandalay you can find them on facebook's at vandalay music or vandalaymusic.com that's V A N D A L A Y music.com.
1: And if you want to hear assholes talk about different movies than the ones we talked about here, then go and check out our friends Mac and Peter at Super Movie Ball. Find them at supermovieball.com and iTunes, and other podcast sources that I haven't bothered verifying for you yet. Still haven't had enough? Then check out Peter's Movie Nights on SoundCloud. That's Peter's, M O V Y N I T E S.